listening to the Pharmacy Podcast Network. Since 2009, the Pharmacy Podcast has been leading podcast publications as the insider voice of the pharmacy industry. Explore the profession and business of pharmacy through audio. Join us at PharmacyPodcast.com or subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google, or any of your favorite podcast directories. This is Pharmacy Crossroads with your host, community pharmacy business veteran, the road trip guy, Bruce Neeland. Community pharmacy is at a crossroads. Pharmacy owners across the country are evolving their pharmacy businesses and making a bigger impact on their communities. Bruce talks with the most innovative community pharmacy owners, pharmacy industry experts, and people who are passionate about the business of pharmacy and its impact on community healthcare. Pharmacy Crossroads is a member of the Pharmacy Podcast Network. And now, here's our host, Bruce Neeland. Hello, and welcome to another episode of Pharmacy Crossroads. I'm your host, Bruce Neeland. The goal of this show is to help independent community pharmacies operate more profitably. And today, we're going to try to help you do that by addressing a topic that, frankly, I know way too little about, but it's an important one. So to help me and you better understand how, and this is the title, the Drug Supply Chain Security Act, or DSCSA, affects you as a pharmacy owner or a pharmacy manager, I have two remarkable guests on the show with us today. First, and I'll ask him to introduce himself in a minute, is Perry Fry. Perry is the Executive Vice President of the Healthcare Distribution Alliance, or commonly referred to as HDA. But the more important guest we have today is Leon Nevers. Leon is the Director of Procurement and Business Development for HEB. HEB is a wonderful pharmacy operation or grocery store operation with pharmacies headquartered out of San Antonio, Texas. Leon, you go first. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit more about your background? And since our pharmacies are mostly independents, let them know what HEB does and how important pharmacy is to your operation. Thank you, Bruce. Um, First of all, I'll I'll talk a little bit about HEB. HEB is over a 115-year-old company. we're doing about almost, we're, this year will be close to $40 billion in total sales. Um, the nice thing there is that a lot of that is on the grocery general merchandise side and uh, also in beauty and OTC. But we also operate um, an award-winning pharmacy operation and, and uh, we're recognized last year as, as one of the top operators. Um, Really what, what, what it means for us at HEB, pharmacy is, is a very important component of our total revenue. It's not the only component and that represents its own challenges. Um, we, out, we operate about 300 stores. We do everything centrally um, for the stores as much as we can. And so our goal, and I know this will resonate with the independent operators out there, our goal is to make it as seamless as possible for the pharmacist to interact with the customers. and so. 
really the DSCSA law falls completely under um, that requirement, which means that, you know, we have we need to have a solution teed up for the store so that they don't have to worry about it, basically, and and that they can continue to offer outstanding customer service for the stores. A little bit about me. I'm actually a business guy. I've, I've been an MBA for most of my life. And, and so basically what that means is that I my, my main goal is to operate um, as transparently for the stores and the customers as I can. And so I spend a lot of time working on making sure that we have product and, and working with our suppliers to make sure that we have the lowest cost available in the marketplace so that our customers continue can continue to afford the medications that they need to stay healthy at HEB. And so that's really my main goal. Um, a little bit more about me, about, I guess, about 10 years ago, uh, my boss called me in the office and said, hey, you're going to be in charge of this new thing called DQSA. And I did, honestly, I didn't even know how to spell DQSA at that point. And it's been quite a journey for me because I am mainly focused on driving sales and profits. And my boss continues to remind me that by offering a seamless transition into compliance with DSCSA, we're going to continue to um, offer our stores an opportunity to interact with the customers. And so it does fall under my my guidance and purview on that note. Back well, to you. And, yeah, that was quite a, a Christmas present you got 10 years ago when he gave <laughs> you that assignment. So, hey, uh, hey, Perry, that that brings us to you. And and I'll point out that uh, Leon used a couple acronyms there. But, Perry, tell us a little bit about your background, who HGA is, and then why don't you go ahead and step into the high-level background on on what we're talking about today with both of those acronyms, and then we'll move forward back to Leon. Sure. Thank you, Bruce. Uh, again, my name is Perry Fry, and I work at the Healthcare Distribution Alliance. And some of you may have remembered uh, HDMA, which was the Healthcare Distribution Management uh, Association, or even before that, NWDA. We were the National Wholesale Druggists Association. So our members uh, are all the large pharmaceutical wholesalers that you would recognize in the industry, uh, not just the, the largest publicly held companies, um, but also the regional uh, family held organizations and co-ops, uh, as well as the smaller companies that serve unique marketplaces like uh, generics or, or uh, specialty drugs or physician offices or, or that type of thing. As a trade association, we operate, you know, in, some ways like an NCPA or um, an APHA, we have a component of our organization that is lobbying on behalf of our members. Uh, and then we also have a component of our organization that holds conferences and events and creates education and research and content that we share with our members to kind of help advance um, knowledge about the role that distributors play in this supply chain. Um, we also work very closely with manufacturers on a lot of issues. Uh, it's such a big industry that um, efficiency is important. Uh, so we work with them on, on things like how to uh, place a barcode on a container, how to use electronic data interchange uh, for uh, seamless uh, transactions between companies for you know, purchase orders, invoices, and so on. Some of you may even be familiar with an HDA new product form, which a, a lot of manufacturers use when they launch a new product into the industry. That form 
actually provides all the information that distributors and, and large chains need to populate their own systems for, uh, to make sure they have the information about that new product. So ACA has been around for uh, quite some time. It's one of the oldest trade associations in Washington. I've been here uh, for 16 years on this current stint, uh, but of unique note, Bruce, when I was here in the mid nineties for a couple of years, uh, overlapped with your time uh, there at NWDA. I, re I remember that fondly and uh, you know, to keep moving forward, I I'm going to make just one other thing. I, you know, when you were a younger man, I was impressed that you were a rugby guy and came to work every once in a while with cuts and bruises all over your face. So it uh, wasn't you, you were a real man's man, uh, Perry. And I, I, yes, I understand that that's not something you do every weekend now, but uh, heck that was 30 years ago. So you're entitled to, <laughs> You're entitled to grow older. Hey, so I, I mean, this we, we've used a couple acronyms. I, I, I do want to say that HDA, clearly one of your biggest responsibilities is to make sure that the supply chain is secure. And um, that brings us to the security DQA or whatever that first acronym was that Leon used. I mean, real sure. quickly, what, what are the two acronyms and what are these laws and what are they designed to do? Um, so DQSA, and which we don't even really use that term anymore, uh, Drug Quality uh, Security Supply, Act. Security it's Act, a, yeah. Um, uh, that's the overall law. DSCSA or the Drug Supply Chain Security Act is Title II or Section Two of, of that overriding law. And what that does is puts in place um, a, a program that establishes a clarified kind of coordinated way for this supply chain to meet requirements set forth by uh, the law and, and governed by FDA so that we can strengthen and protect the supply chain to a greater level. But so why, a couple, oh, go ahead. Well, I was just gonna say, what, you know, Bruce, why? Like, why do we have all this? Um, you know, yeah. back in, uh, uh, I guess, early 2010s, um, late uh, 2000s, we had issues with some big counterfeit cases. You'll remember the book Dangerous Doses came out that led to a lot of questions. Um, there were some bad actors in the supply chain. Uh, at the same time, the state of Florida and the state of California were pushing forward um, their own uh, thoughts around pedigree requirements. And the big challenge for this industry was that those were going to be different. And the concern was that at some point, we were going to have 50 different state requirements. Uh, so ultimately, what, what we were able to do as, as an industry was get them to consolidate around this uh, Drug Supply Chain Security Act to replace that patchwork of, um, of uh, state programs. So it does a lot of things. It, it clarifies and consolidates a lot of the regulations. It, it strengthens distributor licensure standards, and it creates new processes for suspected illegitimate products. And that sounds all, I think, pretty simple, but some of the devil's in the details. This law was passed in 2013, and it gave us a 10-year window to make everything happen. Uh, so our target date now is November 27th, 2023. And while this industry has done a lot of work, uh, we're getting to the point now where 
we need to grind down and, and make sure that more people are on board with the, with the work that's being done. This episode of Pharmacy Crossroads is brought to you by the Healthcare Distribution Alliance. Often referred to by the acronym HDA, the Healthcare Distribution Alliance is the Washington DC-based organization that represents drug wholesalers, pharmaceutical distributors, as well as manufacturers and other companies that make it possible for pharmacies to purchase the products they need to serve their patients. Now, back to our podcast. Well, and, and Leon, I, I guess that brings us to you. I mean, your your role on this thing is you're at the receiving end of all of this. You've got pharmacies that are going to have to adopt tactical or technological changes. Tell us a little bit about what has hit you uh, on this and that you've been working on for the last several years to make sure HEB complies with these rules and regulations. Yeah, thank you. I, I'd like to take a step back from that and, and just and do a quick introduction. So after my boss told me I was involved in this, um, I actually reached out to HDA, as I recall, and, and started asking them, you know, where, where do I get started? You know, what do you think? You know, what, what exactly is going to happen? I also worked with other trade organizations. Um, you know, you, you mentioned APHA and that. Um, and NACDS is, is similar to the APHA. So I, I reached out to both. Um, I would say that NA, NACDS has been not as um, active as HDA for a couple of reasons. Um, HDA, first of all, because of the nature of the law, it started with um, you know compliance from the wholesalers and from the suppliers. And so there's been a s- different steps throughout the law that um, HDA has really jumped into the leadership on, especially on the wholesale and on the supplier side. And so I was able to actually work with HDA and, and do some presentations once a year for the last few years. That's really helped me um, personally be able to interact. And so I would encourage the community pharmacists to get involved in their trade organizations as much as they can. And I'd also encourage them to look at um, the information that HDA has posted out on their website um, as much as you can. And, and I think that those two things will help you um, really grasp what's coming and when what's also happened. Um, so I'll, I'll, I'll go back to the question. The first thing that we had to do in retail was figure out what the law meant. And so um, luckily I'm in a big organization and I, and I have a large team that helped me through this. Um, I would say regulatory was one of the key components and then also having some help from an attorney that helped us read the law and, and interpret it back into you know business requirements as much as we can was very helpful. Um, one of the challenges I would say, or a couple of the challenges that we've learned through this is that there has been some enforcement discretion, which basically means that there were some components of the law that have happened along the way where um, FDA decided that either the industry wasn't ready or there were different things that um, caused a delay in enforcement of the law. I would, you know, we, we debated at our last HDA conference, actually in fairly <laughs> amount of detail about whether we would project a, an enforcement discretion coming up in November, like Perry mentioned, November of next year is really where it's going to hit retail pharmacies. And, you know, that's where I would encourage the community pharmacists to continue to, to focus. I wouldn't bet on enforcement discretion just personally at this point, even though there has been other areas of enforcement discretion. I think that 
Um, we've we've seen the progression of the law, and yes, there has been have been a couple of times where there has been some delays in enforcing the law. But ultimately, I still think it's incumbent on us to to be sure that we're ready to comply with the law in the timeline that's prescribed right now. And right now, that that prescription for us in retail pharmacy is at the end of November. And so, to to prepare for that, Bruce, you know, back to the question. The first thing we had to do was figure out what the law said and how it would impact us and how we fit into um, the regulatory environment. And so we did that with regulatory and, and with our legal department. The next phase was once we understood what we had to work with, um, we really tried to understand the information that we were receiving from our suppliers and really also how we vet out our suppliers. For a community pharmacist, I think that process of vetting the suppliers may be a little bit more simple than it is for us just because we buy from over 100 suppliers directly uh, in pharmacy. And so we had to go through um, each one of the suppliers and make sure that we understood the sourcing and and where it was coming from and, and that we felt really comfortable with those sources and, and how they were sending us information about the product history. And at the same time, we went through a fairly major EDI initiative where we actually were required to start collecting all of the EDI information from our suppliers directly and then storing it for the seven years. So I think that or six years, Perry, you can correct me on that, um, that, the, that the law requires that we store it and be able to retrieve it according to the law. So we went through all of that. That took us um, probably at least a year just to figure out the EDI portion of it. And so let, we were- let me, Leon, let me stop there. EDI stands for Electronic Data Interchange, and it's the way that uh, invoices and those kinds of things are shared back and forth between suppliers and retailers are getting these things. And they, they would just see them as documents, though. I, I think that helps. Keep going. That does help. Thank you. And- Really on the EDI portion, really what we focused on was for this law was the 856, which is the advanced ship notice, also known as an ASN, another acronym. Um, but we really focused on receiving that, storing it, and then being able to retrieve it from our direct suppliers. At the same time, our wholesaler, our primary wholesaler, basically agreed to store the information for us in the same legal requirement, which I think is six years. Um, you know, fact check me on that. But basically, we also have the ability to go back through our existing primary wholesaler and also look at all of the information that we need to and then and then retrieve it in the way that we need. So that was really the basic step one. And then it, it got a little quiet. And then the wholesalers and manufacturers had to do their part in the law over the next couple of years. And then really where we are now is in the last year or two, I had to do a full RFP back out to the provider market. And I'll, I'll define what I mean by the provider market. So there's, there's different companies out there that can provide a place for us to, number one, store the information, number two, retrieve it. And then number three, help us get ready for the next phase of the requirements, which is scanning the 2D barcodes and and um, loading the new EPCIS, which is yet another acronym. But basically, we believe that the EPCIS that comes from scanning the 2D barcodes will eventually replace our need to um, store the 856 ASNs from EDI. And so that's the phase that we're in right now. Um, I actually did a fall RFP on that last year, and the, the entire team was included in that. And 
And basically we've added out all the different supplier um, slash providers that um, allow us a place to store our information and retrieve it according to the law. And um, we picked one provider. Um, the one that we picked honestly wasn't the cheapest. It was um, it was one where they were very well connected with the industry. Um, and they had already established a lot of connections to the industry, which we saw as an advantage for us in being able to reach out to over 100 suppliers and, and our primary wholesaler and other wholesalers to be able to connect back successfully. So I would say that that's one thing to look for as you go through that exercise, which is, is, is your provider well connected to the industry? Have they done this before? Um, or are they starting from new? And, and if you have the patience to start from new, then yeah, you can probably find a little bit better deal, but you're probably going to pay a little bit more if you get somebody that's well-connected in the industry. Um, so that was the next step was just to get a provider that would be able to um, help us understand the landscape. I thought honestly, once I connected to the provider that it would get easier and it actually got a little bit harder. Um, and I'll tell you why. Number one, Retail pharmacy is not today, in my opinion, really set up for the workflow that this um, project entails. Um, the project being what we're talking about here, which is compliance with the DSCSA. Scanning barcodes is part of what we do. Um, and yes, we do have some of the technology, but some of the other easy, the things I thought were going to be easy in quotes actually has taken us a little bit of time and effort um, more than I would have projected. Um, one of the easier things I thought was just going to be able to scan the barcode into our warehouse and some, some independent pharmacies may have warehouses and, and, and also be able to relate to this, but basically, um, we scan outbound today only in our pharmacy warehouse. We don't scan inbound. We actually use more of a manual receiving process. And so it, it's going to require us to do some IT work for integration Number one, and I know anybody that knows the industry buzzword of integration knows that it's expensive and it takes a while. So the translation there. So that part surprised me. And um, and the, some of the simpler things I thought was like setting up a server in the warehouse, for example, or being able to access our internal database and, and some of the integration that goes into um, that I thought was going to be easier. But because we're very um, we have a very high level of corporate security around our data. It's actually pretty hard to integrate um, into the different components. So I, th I would say that's been one of the key challenges that we've seen is, is just getting started on scanning and um, storing the information, even though now we do have a provider set up that's ready to do it. Let me, so let me uh, jump in here and at least take a twist. So, and maybe Perry, I, I, I you know, putting, Putting it on what I know about the operation of a of a typical independent pharmacy, these guys are imagining that their wholesaler will jump in and save them, or their pharmacy management system will jump in and save them, and they're also exposed to this uh, VOD wholesaler uh, terminology, the verified authorized wholesale distributor. I mean, Perry, how do the how do the wholesalers and and pharmacy management system people work together on this? And and what can an independent pharmacy need to do or expect to do beyond what they can get from their two primary providers? Yeah, I mean, you know, the first thing is at the most basic level. I mean, 
I really appreciate all the work that Leon's done, first of all, and as one of the one of the few kind of retail uh, guys that has um, been good enough to participate fairly actively with HCA, and we're constantly looking for that input. But at the independent pharmacy level, you know, it's maybe better to think about it in a couple of different ways. So we just said that we're working towards November 27, 2023, but that doesn't mean there's things that um, pharmacies aren't supposed to be doing right now. So even yeah. within that law, you know, pharmacies have to be doing a little bit more due diligence on their suppliers and actually only do business with what the law calls authorized trading partners. That's not specific to VOD. It's just making sure that you're checking the licensure and the credentialing of the distributors that you're doing business with. And as I think, you know, probably my friend Chuck Forsythe talked about on the, on the fraud bit, you know, it's one thing to have a regular relationship with a primary wholesaler, but it's another thing to be really confident about how you're going to do business with uh, someone, you know, a secondary or generic uh, uh, distributor that maybe you haven't heard from. Um, the pharmacies are supposed to uh, is accompanied by transaction history, transaction information, and a transaction statement. But the good thing is the wholesalers are able to kind of house all that in the portals that pharmacies use for their ordering system. Um, and I think one other thing that's really important, Leon, is under this law um, and how products are being tracked, you can only return products um, back to the distributor that you bought them from. So that creates a little bit more process from an inventory management standpoint, I think, for the for the pharmacy. I'm not sure how it ties to the pharmacy, pharmacy management system because the, the law sort of ends with the transaction that's related to the uh, uh, okay. distributor to the pharmacy, not linking, up, uh, not linking up with the patient in any way through the pharmacy system. So uh, thank you for that. And it leads to another question. I'll go back to Leon. Leon, you mentioned barcode scanning. Is this something more advanced than what we would typically see when an order is received? You scan it and check it against the invoice. And, and in either case, if you're going to return it and you're getting stuff from two different suppliers, will the barcode help you know which supplier you need to send it back to? I think the answer is cautiously yes. Um, so there's there's a few ways of receiving in a pharmacy that I've seen, and everybody probably has a little bit different twist on this, but in, in the high volume receiving in a retail pharmacy, what I've seen is that when the, when the totes come in, we may scan an SSC 18 barcode on the outside of the tote, and that may help us populate what's in the tote. So that that way is actually the easiest way the other way I've seen is that we open up the tote and we manually check in the order against what the invoice or the packing slip may say. And that's that's a very manual way of doing it. Another way is that we actually open the tote and, and we may scan whatever barcodes on the product, um, usually at the NDC level, to be able to just similar to what the way it's dispensed. And, and that helps populate um, our reorder or whatever system that we're, we're putting it into for receiving. So those are three of the older ways of receiving. I think under the new um, DSCSA requirements, we're going to be able to scan what's called a 2D barcode. And you're probably familiar with that already. 
because 2D barcodes are really popular because they're able to hold a lot more information than some of the older um, barcodes. And so one of the things, a couple of the things that are intriguing to us as retailers that are embedded now in the 2D barcodes are things like the lot number, the expiration date, which you know all of the pharmacists can certainly feel along with, have this feeling along with me that it's it, prior to this, it was really difficult to know what our expiration dates were without actually looking at the product. And so by scanning the 2D barcodes, I think one of the things we're gonna learn is that we'll have really good access to the lot number for recalls. And you know, recalls again, very manual process in, in the past for a retail pharmacy. And so, you know, having the assurance now when we scan the 2D barcode that we actually have either have received a lot number, for example, that needs to be recalled is, is a nice advantage of this law. And then number two, having the expiration date included is, is another um, automatic more in a more automated fashion, I think is, is a very nice benefit of this law. I hope I answered the question. If not, let me know. Yeah, no, that's great. Uh, and, 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 and earlier you talked about how you went out and found a provider. Um, tell us who a provider is and what they would do that you wouldn't automatically be getting from your, your suppliers. Sure. I would say that I went through the normal, I guess, in quotes, normal process of thinking that my wholesaler was going to provide hundred percent assurance of everything that I needed to comply with the law. And that didn't last very long, to be honest with you. And I talked to all three wholesalers, so um, of the primary wholesalers, so Cardinal, McKesson, and ABC, and they're all leaders in this. They, they all have folks that go to the HDA conference that know far more than I, I will ever know about this law and, you know, have received awards for really moving the industry forward. So any, anything I say about the wholesalers is not necessarily a criticism, but, I, but a caution, I think, more to the retail pharmacists that are going to listen to this around, I would not assume that the wholesalers are going to be a turnkey solution um, for your, your business. I would assume that you're going to have to actively investigate that and, and really um, determine for yourself whether you're going to be in a position to um, comply with the law. That would be my main caution for, for this group is, is to go through that exercise and then determine it. Um, I don't think that um, I haven't heard any of the wholesalers say that I'm going to you know, so solve every piece of the law for us. But I would say that the wholesalers have been very active and 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 uh, helping us understand and how to comply with the law and, and and also clarifying and encouraging different parts of of the law for us. Um, did that answer the question, Bruce? Yep, it does. And it leads to the what what I think is the quote unquote bad news of this and ask you to clarify it. So as I see it, there's there's a workflow hassle that's associated with this. There's uh, the need for perhaps finding a provider or at least spending time researching and becoming associated with the law and making sure you have the internal processes. And, and then you've talked about penalties. So as I'm looking at this, there's three things that this does that are bad news for a pharmacy. What are the penalties uh, supposed to be? What would you get fined for and and what are they likely to be? Can, do you have a, a feel for that? 
I'm not an expert on the on the penalties. Um, I've been really focused on, you know, just surely trying to comply with the law um, for the most part so that I don't have to get into the penalty phase. I think what I what I heard at the last HDA meeting that um, intrigues me is that I think the state boards of pharmacy will may or may not be on the front line of um, some of the audits that are going to be occurring. Um, but that was the first time that I'd heard that. And I know the state boards of pharmacy come into our pharmacies now, obviously, and, and you know, look at our operations and comply. They may or may not be included in, in this exercise, but um, just just a heads up, that's what I heard in the last round. And I heard that from a few of the experts that I actually agree with. Um, so I would I would be cautious about learning the law, making sure that you understand what's required and that you're in compliance. And it's it's like a lot of other regulatory issues. I think that we we it's incumbent on us as retail pharmacies to understand what's required and then go through a, a very in-depth investigation to make sure that you know we're we're actually doing everything that we can to protect our patients. Yeah, and uh, Perry, I'll ask you to chat just a minute about your website, but I'm going to go down a rabbit hole and. And, and at least put my personal uh, stamp on this. I'm somewhat embarrassed to share it, but uh, uh, the, this notion of stuff creeping into the supply chain um, is still alive and well. The very heart of everything that we expect a pharmacy to do is to make sure that the pills, the products that they're dispensing are legitimate and ethical and efficacious. Um, so that's my heartfelt plea for why I think this law is um, is important and does important stuff. Yeah, Harry, I'll, I'll, yeah, I'll go a step a step further, and you know, thank you for sharing that. I think you know, what the law does is it does put in place some things that are going to be a little bit harder from you know a process standpoint, absolutely, and um, even. Um, you know, today, uh, pharmacies have to be doing business with an authorized trading partner. So there's got to be background and understanding of the, of the licenses that wholesaler has and um, the legitimacy, legitimacy of, that, of that business. Um, pharmacies are supposed to be able to receive and, and look at the transaction information and transaction history. I think if you're not getting those things, if you're not seeing that type of information, then you know, there's a lot of due diligence that you probably have to do. And there's some requirements around uh, reporting suspect, what they call the law, what the law calls suspect and an illegitimate product. Right. There was a, there was a recent um, um, uh, counterfeit uh, scam. Uh, we'll refrain from mentioning all the company names, but it definitely was, you know, branded pharma and, you know, one of the large wholesalers uh, got involved. And the reason they got involved is, because a pharmacy acquired a specific drug at a very low price, which of course is an attractive standpoint. And when they were looking at the transaction information that came with that product, it was falsified to the point where it showed transactions among other distributors, including that pharmacy's primary distributor. So the pharmacy then said, well, why am I getting it cheaper than I can get it from my primary pharmacy and called up the, the distributor with all that information. And now we have a background, you know, to check on uh, how that counterfeit product entered the marketplace because the pharmacy knows who they bought it from 
And if they're bad guys, great. If they're not bad guys, now we know where they got it from. And it provides more information uh, when we can't shut it down to begin with to follow it up and actually prosecute it. Um, so that's that's a big deal. I, I think you know, just one other thing, Bruce, from the standpoint of pharmacies, it can absolutely get complicated. Um, and there's some things we're going to have to pay attention to. But I, I assure you that your distributors um, you know, want to help. And I think it's good to reach out to them uh, so that you can work with them to help build some, uh, uh, some of your own SOPs for your business. Um, and also to understand how this information is going to be held and how you can access it. Um, and knowing that all that information has to be saved uh, for six years. So with that, Perry, tell us where on the website we can go to get some checklists and background documents and those kinds of things that your organization is prepared. Yeah, so uh, the easiest way to do it, Bruce, is to go to hda.org slash issues. And you'll see pharmaceutical traceability there. There's a big icon that says resources for dispensers. And in that information, you'll see a collection of things like a pharmacy checklist from NCPA or some information from FDA, um, uh, some information from uh, Cardinal Health or APHA. So these all come in different forms. There's some FAQs, some documents, some presentations, some webinars, and so on. But a lot of good resources for you to get started. I think the other important thing to, to say, you know, Leon mentioned, um, you know, working with an outside vendor to help create the system internally to the pharmacy. Um, we're getting low on time. And a lot of those vendors are pretty booked with other work that they need to do. What you're seeing today is the distributors are working really hard to get the manufacturers on board with the transactions they need to do by the end of this year. But next year is going to be spent working very closely with the distributor community to make sure all the, or the dispenser community, to make sure that all the customers uh, in the field are connected to their, uh, to the systems they need to be connected to. So hda.org slash issues. Correct. My guess, uh, my guess is I'm still confused. I know a lot more now than I did before, but my my guess, my supposition would be is the typical person listening to this podcast should make it a point to call up and talk to their wholesaler rep right away and at least ask the question and um, and start finding out what it is their wholesaler has to provide. But I suspect, as Leon found you're going to need to be shopping for a company that's going to charge you. And I'm sorry to say that there's no good news there. That's going to charge you to provide a wraparound service that will give you what you need. Hey, Leon, what a delight to meet you. I lived in Texas for nine years. Um, well aware of the quality and reputation HEB has as a, uh, a grocer in, in the state of Texas. And, and I hope our paths cross someday soon. Perry, thank you so much for your support and encouragement to put together a podcast on this topic and the scams topic last month. Um, I look forward to talking to both of you again. And with that, I'm going to say that's it for Pharmacy Crossroads today, where we try to help pharmacies do more and be better. Take care. Thanks for listening to Pharmacy Crossroads. If you're interested in talking with Bruce, please contact the show. 
visit pharmacycrossroads.com. We look forward to hearing from you. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.